Hello, and welcome to Strange Weapons True Crime. This is the podcast where every episode we look at various crimes that are all tied together by the same type of unusual item being used in each incident. I'm your host, Robert Escobar, Kiki for short, K-I-K-I. I am a court-recognized weapons expert, author, martial artist, and antique weapons specialist. My particular specialty within all of that, subspecialty I guess, is odd and overlooked weapons. On that note, I'm the author of the book Saps, Blackjacks, and Slungshots, A History of Forgotten Weapons. Episode 4, The Breath of Death. In this episode, we're going to deal with a tool that's been around since the Stone Age, and probably started as a simple toy. Then, over the millennia, it remained, in a lot of circles, nothing but a toy. It is, I would imagine, still used by schoolchildren to this day in the classroom. The thing is, their version does a little more than annoy the target, because a straw or disassembled pen body, firing a teeny ball of paper via a good puff of breath, can only do so much damage. But it's still a blowgun, or blowpipe, as they used to be called. The blowgun is one of the more improbable hunting tools in human history, in my opinion. But they were used in various locations around the world, most famously in South America and a lot of parts of Asia. I say they're improbable because the inventors didn't find a natural tube in the jungle and realize, hey, you can blow on one end and force a projectile out of the other. Not typically, anyway. There's various ways to make these, but it almost always involves a fair amount of work. You've got a tube. Great. The problem is it's filled with natural dividers that obstruct the path. Think of a length of bamboo. It's got these inner dividers, so yeah, you have to break the entire thing out lengthwise so you can get to the insides clear all that out in there, and bind it up in some way that will keep the contraption together. We won't go into other construction methods, but there are some. You get the point. These things take work. And it's actually really hard to imagine the eureka moment that started this invention. But invented it was. It was probably a toy, like we mentioned, and nothing more at first. The initial projectiles were seeds and things like that. Well, you can only do so much damage by blowing a seed at something, right? Later, though, using clay pellets upped the damage. The ammunition evolution continued all the way to, of course, the dart. The conception of these may be hard to imagine, but the reason they caught on once built is not. If you get the chance, I highly recommend making your own cheaper-than-dirt blowgun and playing with it. Take a 5-foot, you know, something like that, length of PVC pipe, buy some nails, use sticky notes and scotch tape to give the end of the nails a paper cone, and... You're ready to go. My kids and I could put these cheapo darts into a plank of wood roughly the size of a pizza box from about 40 feet away after just a little practice. And even at that distance, they hit with an impressive thwack. The point is, this is a very intuitive tool. On top of that, the ammo is less labor-intensive than making an arrow or a spear, and you can carry a lot more of it much more easily. Another big selling point about the tool is that it's practically silent. So if you miss, say, a bird sitting up on a branch that you're trying to bring down for your dinner or for a snack, it might not even notice and just sit there so you can try again. The main drawback of the blowgun is a lack of stopping power. That's why hunting targets were restricted to birds and other small animals. I think you probably know how indigenous hunters compensated for this weakness. With poison. Many clever concoctions were designed for this purpose. The quintessential one might be from my parents' native land. 
where the Columbian dart frog lives. Some of these thumb-sized critters have enough poison on their skin to kill 10 adult men. Whether plant or animal-based, the poisons were often lethal, but could also just paralyze the victim, where, whether human or animal, it then had no choice but to lie there helpless and wait for its fate. Uh, the lethal poisons weren't any better, they certainly weren't more pleasant. It's not like the target dropped it dead almost instantaneously, as we've seen in countless movies. You know, where the human victim clutches the spot they were shot in, makes a face, and keels over. In fact, I saw the movie Jungle Cruise just recently with my kids, and The Rock and Emma Stone and others, yeah, they get hit by a dart, fired from the jungle, and bam, they're down. No, in reality, it would be more like feeling a sharp, mysterious sting, finding the spot of the pain, seeing the dart sticking out of your body, and realizing, as Lin-Manuel Miranda might say, three fundamental things at the exact same time. One, you would soon be dead. Two, there was nothing you could do about that. Three, you were about to feel your body slowly shutting down as your nervous system begins failing, followed by your organs. Fiction, whether movies or books, can also make you think that a poisoned blowgun attack is more common than it is. And by common, I mean that it happens almost at all. It was very difficult to find instances of people in modern times being killed with a blowgun. But these instruments do get used in crimes. Surprisingly, those crimes are almost always of the poison-less variety. Modern blowguns are used as hunting and sporting tools. And, as my personal anecdote from earlier tests, they can pack a bit of a wallop. They're, of course, not powerhouses in that regard, not by any stretch. And you'd rather get hit with one of those than with a spear or an arrow or, of course, a bullet. But keep in mind, hunters bring down sizable animals with this tool, sans poison, like rams, deer, and even bears. The trick here is that they aren't firing needles or pellets. A broadhead variety of the dart provides a slicing in addition to piercing damage. So yeah, a well-placed shot with one of those and a good quality modern uh, blowpipe can definitely be lethal. Luckily for the victims we're going to encounter, most, if not all, modern users fire the standard. This is probably a happy accident in that they simply don't know about the other option. The blowpipe is very different from the items we covered in our first three episodes. Each of those weapons normally gets employed by someone who either wants to kill the target of their ire, or is at least willing to risk that result. Nowadays, the blowgun gets used by people who seem to have no intention of doing that. It's more like a dangerous prank tool at its most benign, and a kind of disturbing, I-want-to-hurt-people-but-not-get-caught tool on the other end of the spectrum. The temptation to use it outside of those bounds is apparently too much for some people to resist. What am I talking about? Animal victims. And you'll see this come up again and again when researching this weapon in the news, so this is definitely a thing. I'll call it a noteworthy trend when it comes to the modern blowpipe. And because of it, you'll get, I mean, I don't want to be mean, but amusing headlines like this. This is from a KSL News Radio. California quail hanging on to life after being shot with a blowgun. February 2nd, 2022. Again, I don't want to be mean, poor little quail, but yeah, somebody shot one. It was, you know, without a permit, out of season recreation or an attempt to poach. Who knows? But uh, then they go into great detail about the poor little guy or girl hanging on to life and apparently uh, was set to make a full recovery. So good. On the larger side of the animal world, station KTVZ on its website let people know, Two deer killed, three injured by blowgun darts in burns. $1,000 reward offered. End quote. 
And this is the thing about hunting with a blowgun. It, it's not well suited to bring down a large animal. It can, as we talked about at the start of the episode, but it's not perfectly suited to that. It lacks a lot of power. People using them nowadays are not using them with poison. And yeah, the animal can get away for that reason and then suffer. Field and Stream magazine had this article, headline, quote, Oregon poacher uses blowgun to wound and kill mule deer. Here's how you can help police bust them. And then, once again, there was a $1,000 reward. And this was also from last year, 2022. News9.com, October 12th, 2020. Headline, quote, Cat shot with blowgun dart in El Reno, end quote. This is El Reno, Oklahoma. Police in El Reno are looking for the person who shot a cat with a blowgun dart. The cat will be okay, thanks to a caring neighbor. The cat was found at Lake El Reno with a sharp 5-inch dart in its shoulder. The tip has two razor-sharp blades. So that's the kind of hunting dart we were talking about earlier. It is pretty amazing that the cat uh, made it through this. Diane Cohen found the cat with the dart and spent two weeks trying to catch him to help him. Well, good for her. And one more along these lines. Second pet killed. End quote. Come on, people. Let's read a little bit from it. Quote, Niagara Falls, New York. The Niagara SPCA is asking the public for information into cases of animal cruelty in the Cayuga Village area of Niagara Falls. Investigators say a pet cat named Riley returned to her home several weeks ago with a blowgun dart embedded in her leg. Hmm. Riley was treated by a vet and is recovering. A second cat, Amelia, was found dead near her owner's home. According to the SPCA, someone in the area had been making threats to kill the animal. One final note on these things being used against unfortunate and defenseless animals is from Russia. Do you remember when they hosted the World Cup in Sochi? Quote, Russia is using poisoned darts and blowguns to destroy stray animals ahead of World Cup. End quote. So yeah, this time actual old-fashioned blowgun poison darts. Of course, these were made with a modern twist, uh, showing a truly ancient, prehistoric technology still being effective and hearkening back to its roots. We talked about the silence of this weapon being an advantage. I think that's part of this, too, because there's a lot of stray animals that they're clearing out uh, pretty inhumanely. But the silence of the instrument is probably how they happened upon this, right? They don't want neighbors waking up, yelling at them, wondering what's going on, calling the police, even though they obviously had you know authority to do this. Not saying it was a good thing, but they did. So that isn't technically a crime for that reason and out of scope, but I thought I'd include it. Speaking of things that are out of scope or somewhat, here's something you need to understand about blowguns, because remember I was recommending you you make one and, and play around with it. You can accidentally inhale the dart. It can be kind of instinctual to put your mouth on the end you're going to blow through and then inhale. Bad idea. The darts are very light, so they can get sucked into your windpipe. And yes, people have absolutely died from doing this. I found an old account from like, I was like, here we go, 1857, warning parents of the very real danger. And that article was spurred by a death that resulted from what we're talking about here. Meanwhile, let's jump up to 2013, Ohio. A 15-year-old boy inhaled the dart that he was going to shoot out of his blowgun, and it ended up lodged in his windpipe. There's even an x-ray of it, and yet it's this long, thin needle sitting there in the esophagus. Uh, very fortunately, it's kind of oriented you know, vertically and just kind of sitting there, so pretty lucky overall, even though it required emergency surgery to, of course, remove it. I mentioned earlier how our instruments can be more of a prank tool in modernity. Quote, police arrested a 25-year-old man after they said he shot his former co-worker in the butt with a homemade blowgun earlier this month. End quote. That's from KOCO5 News in Oklahoma. 
the copy there. Probably could have been a little bit better on their part, but hey. And there's actually an instructive point in that story, too. The man just took a needle, didn't alter it anyway, and shot it out of like a straw. So that can work. A proper blowgun dart has to have something affixed to the end of the needle so you can get really proper propulsion going, so it catches as much of the breath as possible. Now, more typical with the modern attacks than a coworker thinking it's just funny to shoot his buddy in the butt is what happened at the nation's capital in 2002. There was a series of Blogan attacks. The police assumed they were by the same perpetrator or perpetrators, and there were 15 of these in a short span of time. This included during rush hours. There's all kinds of people moving around. We talked about how this could be, it seems like an attractive tool for some people who want to, you know, hurt people and get away with it. You know, it's basically silent, like we talked about. It's you know, it's not like firing a gun, obviously. And you can just kind of fire, move on, and I guess some people get a thrill out of that and then keep doing it. One man, quote, felt something whiz by him and it turned out to be a dart. Fortunately, it didn't strike him. We did recover the dart, end quote said police investigating. The first victim in this spree was a 13-year-old boy who's hit in the torso while he was waiting for a bus. Just 15 minutes later, a 53-year-old man standing on the sidewalk got hit in the elbow, and on and on it went. None of the injuries, luckily, turned out to be serious. Let's go to Florida in 1996, Pompano Beach. Two teens brothers who lived in a wealthy neighborhood were caught and charged with attacking a black cyclist during an early morning incident as they rode around in their mother's red Mercedes. Not overly entitled punks at all. You know, I mentioned the race of the victim because that was definitely a part of this. This was a hate crime. Uh, one of the teens, I don't know why he was this stupid, but admitted to the police that he and his brother had had a conversation about going out and shooting some, let's just say, ends. So great job, mom and dad. Not a lot of details here, but to jump all the way across the country to California, two tourists were struck by blowgun darts while they were walking on the Golden Gate Bridge. So I'm sure that ruined their sightseeing. A California Highway Patrol officer was flagged down by a man who had a long metal dart that went through his jeans and pierced his skin. The dart was about five inches long. We haven't been to the Northeast yet, I don't think. In the Bronx, two teenage boys were arrested after two separate attacks in the first of those, the victim was a man standing on the corner of Bensonhurst Street. The interesting thing about this story is they actually have a picture of the wound. The man lifts up his shirt for the reporter. So let's get into the uh, kind of forensic side a little bit here. You would think a blowgun needle causes a very narrow wound, which does, of course, a very extremely narrow entrance wound, kind of like we talked about with the ice picks last episode. You see the man's belly where it went in, and uh, he has a large purple bruise. So to glance at it, you would think he'd been hit with, I don't know, a rubber bullet or something like that. One of the incidents involved a 66-year-old man who was sitting with his neighbor in an SUV at the corner of 86 and 32nd when, quote, several darts flew in through the car's open windows, end quote. Yikes. The man said he felt like he had gotten punched in the thigh, saw the needle in his leg, and then the other one in his stomach. Quote, I was very afraid. We did not know if the needle was poisoned. They quickly closed the windows of the vehicle, and a shower of needles continued to ping against the car. And now for something a little different. You know, I'm finishing up my next book, and one thing that gets touched on repeatedly throughout my manuscript is how prisons are a laboratory for weapons invention and improvisation. For instance, in the most dangerous and secure part of San Quentin Prison, 
these are death row prisoners, but not just regular death row prisoners. They're from that population, the ones that are considered so dangerous that they have to be kept in a separate facility. They regularly lash out at the guards in many different ways, uh, the worst of which, or the grossest of which, is what they call gassings. This is from the Baltimore Sun, quote, in which prisoners hurl cups filled with feces and urine or blood at the faces of guards, end quote. Blech. So they get attacked with shivs and shanks and razor blade-based weapons, as you can imagine. But there's also a ranged attack, and that is where we get particularly interested. Quote, they have seen darts made from paper clips, heavy-duty staples pried from cardboard boxes, or legal binders and copper wire from television antenna. Each dart had been filed to a lethal point on the concrete cell floor. The missiles were often fired from makeshift blowguns made from tightly wound newspapers hardened with dried oatmeal. End quote. American Law Reports, Volume 65, from 1988, noted an instance where a prisoner, and I'm sure this is not a singular instance, used a homemade blowgun against a fellow inmate. And just for fun, I'll mention a kind of blowgun that has been used in prisons as well, but this is more of a homemade flamethrower. Powdered creamer for coffees is usually not allowed in penitentiaries, and that's because it turns out it's highly flammable. So you can throw some at somebody's face and, you know, throw it across an open flame where it then ignites, or you can blow the creamer through a straw and across your open flame and into the victim's face. I told you there was a lot of weapons creativity in prisons. Now I'm going to read from a publication. Somebody luckily scanned this. It's uh, wonderfully cheesy looking in retrospect, but it was, you know, acceptable at the time. This is a oh, kind of a magazine slash pamphlet published by the Florida Sheriff's Association, December 1982 to January 1983. It's kind of an internal publication, like a stars and stripes for Florida sheriffs, I guess. And the cover story had Sergeant Joel Lowry holding a blowgun, quote, donated to the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Department, end quote. Here's a caption from the second picture. Quote, Close-up shows how a dart made from a piece of wire and a bead is loaded into the blowgun. End quote. So that one, it kind of looks like somebody's holding a, um, not a thumbtack, but you know, the tacks that you pin up on a map to maybe show points of interest. It's got the round bead-like head. Yeah, like that. I did not know that could be blowgun ammunition, but it makes sense. If that bead-like object at the end takes up the circumference or most of it with a barrel, then it's also going to catch the air. So let's read the cover story from this old publication. It's not very long at all. Quote, Blowguns blitzed after darts injure people and animals. Santa Rosa County Sheriff J.A. Jim Powell thought he had encountered just about every kind of emergency law enforcement officers face in their daily rounds. Then he began to get weird reports that someone was driving around the county wounding people and animals with darts fired from a blowgun. It seemed incredible, but when he got to checking around, he discovered the reports were true. One woman was said to have suffered a collapsed lung from a dart. Five persons were injured by darts and treated at the Santa Rosa County Hospital. About a dozen darts were pulled from the hide of a cow out at a pasture. Other darts were found embedded in doors, concrete block houses, and a dog, according to news reports. Powell said the dart attacks could snowball into a severe problem, and the Santa Rosa County Commission promptly passed a tough ordinance that had the effect of outlawing blowguns. The ordinance, which was said to be the first of its kind in Florida, defines blowguns as deadly weapons and requires blowgun owners to obtain gun permits. Sellers are required to sell only blowguns manufactured with serial numbers and to keep records of sales. A merchant who had been selling blowguns was quoted as saying the ordinance will have the effect of outlawing them because they do not come from the factory with a serial number. Darts are cut from lengths of steel wire and attached to beads that fit snugly inside the blowgun barrel. 
A strong puff sends the 38 caliber projectile traveling at approximately 300 feet per second, and the guns are accurate within 40 to 60 feet, according to a newspaper report. The blowguns range in size from 3 to 4.5 feet. End quote. So there you go, what is old is new again, from getting to the latter part of the 20th century to a couple of decades into the 21st century. Every once in a while, somebody gets it in their head to do this, and uh, police have to scramble to figure out what is going on. Let's add a little international intrigue into the episode. First one's from Germany, and it's I'm not going to read from it. It's what we've seen a lot of. Again, it really is a copycat thing. So uh, you had a construction worker a pedestrian, a public transportation employee, all three of them hit by darts. What the heck is going on? This is in Cologne, Germany, in one of the main squares, so a big hub for transportation. You go to a place like that where it's easy to blend in, and you probably shoot from your car, and nobody's going to know where that thing came from as you drive away. But on the much more interesting international scale, this is tangential, but let's talk about the assassination of Marcel Leopold. Marcel was a very interesting man. He was born in Switzerland, but ended up in China, where he became fabulously wealthy. However, the communists then took over, basically took away all of his assets, threw him in jail for being a capitalist, put him in a re-education camp. He finally gets away, returns to Geneva. There he tries to make money by getting into gambling, but Geneva has strong laws against gambling. So he moves on to arms dealing. He deals explosives to the Algerian independence rebels. In 1957, he's arrested by the Geneva police. And then on September 19th of that same year, 1957, he's killed almost simultaneously with another arms dealer, George Geitzer. He's done in by La Main Rouge, which is described as both a terrorist organization and a front for the French Secret Service. Wow, like I said, international intrigue. And why do we care about this arms dealer getting killed? Because he was killed with some kind of a blowpipe that used a bicycle pump as the mechanism. It fired a bolt at him. I assume a sharpened one. There were rumors that he was hit with a poisoned arrow or a dart, but no, it turned out it was just a bolt. It penetrated his torso, and he died of internal bleeding. So, the cloak and dagger bicycle pump blowgun assassination tool. Now we know that's a thing. Now, I know that we haven't had anyone actually killed with a blowgun proper, right? Yeah, that's how rare such a thing is. But it's not that it didn't happen in the 20th century, in modernity. I'm going to prove to you that it did by reading a preview excerpt from my upcoming book, Deadly Ingenuity. Important to note that Malaysia is kind of like the center of blowgun development on that side of the world. It seems that it spread from there to many other parts of that hemisphere. And anyway, quote, Meet the Malaysian Special Forces Unit called the Sanoi Prak. These soldiers were drawn almost entirely from tribal populations, and their name translates as the rather direct War People. Now I'm quoting from a source that I'm quoting within my upcoming book. Particularly memorable to the Sanoi Prak troopers were those encounters in which they used traditional weapons to pick off scores of MRLA cadres, one at a time in a leisurely hunt that lasted for days. They still delight in recounting episodes about their prowess with blowguns. The crossed blowguns prominently displayed amidst their former regimental insignia remain a symbol of great pride to members of the unit, and a reminder of the good times blessed by many kills. This type of killing was best accomplished when the stalker was safely concealed behind the thick new foliage found in those jungle areas. The predominant ethnic group here is the Oran Asli. 
our final incident comes from the same location from the same people, the Orana Slee, and it's because of them and their love of this tool that we have the only verified true blue, true crime murder with a blowgun that we're going to look at today, like an actual, you know, blowgun proper. This is an article from 2013. Quote, Police arrested an erroneously man after poison from the darts allegedly fired from his blowpipe killed a man in Kampung, Bangkok, near here last Friday. Now I'm going to skip a little bit. So-and-so said the 48-year-old erroneously man was being held under remand for seven days for the murder of Harun Mat Bakar, 79. He told reporters that Harun returned to his home at about 7 p.m. last Friday and informed his wife and children that he had been shot with blowpipe darts in the face, neck, and shoulder. Harun identified the Aranasli man before he collapsed and died while being transferred to the Jenka hospital. The doctor confirmed that Harun had minor injuries on his face, neck, and left shoulder and suspected that he had died from poison on the darts. Azid said police arrested the Aranas Lee man at his house and seized blowpipes and darts. He said the motive for the alleged attack on Harun was being investigated. The Aranas Lee, who traditionally depend on the jungle for their livelihood, use poisoned darts in their blowpipes to hunt small animals. End quote. That was Blind Lemon Jefferson from the song See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. Well, that is going to be it for this episode. Final tidbit I'll leave you with is the fact that our episode's name, The Breath of Death, comes from the name given to the Cherokee blowgun once it was encountered by outsiders. Well, hope you enjoyed the episode. Check us out next time if you like. Thanks. <laughs>